Welcome to the Property Magic Podcast. My name is Simon Zucci, and in this podcast, I'm going to deep dive into the property investing strategies and investor mindset for my book, Property Magic. I will also share real estate investing hints, tips, and tricks, which I normally only share on my Property Mastermind Mentorship. Hello and welcome to episode number 30 of the Property Magic Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk all about HMO licensing and HMO planning. Now that might sound a bit dull, but I assure you it's really important you understand this if you've got HMOs and you want to avoid making expensive mistakes. Planning and licensing are totally separate, unrelated matters, but very often investors get them all confused and thus make expensive mistakes. Or even worse, they get put off using this powerful strategy because they just don't understand it. So the purpose of this episode of the Property Magic Podcast is to make this as simple as possible so you have the knowledge to successfully invest in HMOs, which I believe is the very best strategy to give you cash flow and build your property portfolio such that you can replace your income. So first of all, let's talk about what is an HMO. Let me go right back to basics in case you've never listened to any of my other podcasts before. So an HMO is a property that has three or more unrelated tenants living there. So it could be three friends living together. It could be a couple who are unmarried and a friend. That would also be an HMO. If it's a family, they're all related. So that's not then an HMO. Now, normally in an HMO, each person has their own individual room. They might have their own private facilities, such as a shower, hand basin, and toilet, but very often a couple of people in the property will share a bathroom or a shower room, and people generally share the kitchen as well, and they might also have a shared living room. So you might think, well, who would actually live in a property like this? Now, you may have lived in one yourself. I certainly have. And there are four main groups of tenants. The first group of tenants is students, people who are studying university, and the proximity to the university is very, very important for that because students are kind of lazy. They don't want to have to travel too far to get to university. The next group of tenants are young professionals. These are people who've probably been to university, they've graduated, they've got a profession, they've got a great job such as an architect, an accountant, a solicitor, a doctor, an engineer, whatever it might be, and they've got a good income, but they actually quite like living in a shared house for the social aspect. And also maybe they've moved to a new city, they don't really know anyone, helps them get a social life, and it's much more cost-effective to live in a shared house than it is to live on their own in a studio or apartment, because in that case, they'd have to pay their own bills as well as the rent, whereas in an HMO, all the bills are included. The next type of tenant, the third type, is working people. People who've got jobs in offices, factory, shops, whatever it might be, they probably haven't been to university and there's nothing wrong with that, but what that means is maybe they haven't lived in a shared house before. They might have come straight from living at home with mum and dad and they decided they didn't want to live with mum and dad anymore, or more to the point, maybe mum and dad decided they didn't want their kids living there, so they've kicked them out, they're in a shared house, and you know they can make great tenants, The only thing is sometimes they need a little bit of coaching about what it's like to live in a shared house because mum and dad aren't there to clean up after them anymore. Now, you can mix young professionals and working people together. That's no problem at all. But generally, the groups you shouldn't mix. So you don't really want to put students with working people. And the fourth group of tenants, which is people on benefits, you definitely don't want to mix those with the other groups. Personally, I don't have any HMOs that have 
benefit tenants in. All of my HMOs are either student HMOs or young professional working people. So nothing wrong with people on benefits, but they are more work to deal with. I have people on benefits in my single let properties, but from my experience, it's just a lot more work if you're looking after it yourself. What some of my students have done is they've taken a property, they've rented it to a charity who's effectively done a rent to rent on them, and then the charity has put people in who might be slightly more vulnerable, who um, the charity can get a higher rate from the local council, and so they can pay the, the landlord a really good rental, almost the, the amount they get with normal tenants, but the landlord has no hassle and no responsibility, and then the charity looks after the property, pays all the bills, and they still make a profit because there's a margin between what the council paid to them and what they pay the landlord. So um, four different types of tenants, and the type of tenant you get will probably be influenced by the location of the property. So now let's think about licensing. So in October 2018, the licensing requirements changed. They'd been in for well over 10 years at that point. But in October 2018, the government announced a change and there were two major changes. The first change was they said any property with five or more tenants would now need a license. Now, it used to be five or more tenants and on three floors but they've dropped the floor requirements. So the number of floors is completely irrelevant now. It's all about the number of people living in the property. So what that means is there are literally a couple of hundred thousand properties which were HMOs, but they didn't need licensing because they weren't on three floors that now need licensing. So there's been a huge influx of properties into the local councils who are the people who coordinate the licenses. Now, it's really important that you check with your local council. This is one of the actions from today's episode is call the local council or go onto their website and you want to speak to someone from the HMO licensing department and check with them what their interpretation are of the guidelines. Most councils go with the government guidelines and five or more people you need a license. However, some councils have gone with the literal definition of an HMO, i.e. three or more people, and they say if there are three or more people, then it needs a license. Now, there is a license fee that you have to pay. Typically, the license lasts for five years, and as a license holder, you can either be the owner of the property or a manager of the property. Some councils have uh, tried to charge a lot for licenses and make them on pretty much every property because they're seeing it as a revenue generating exercise. It's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to, they're supposed to charge enough to cover the cost of the administration. But as we all know, councils are a bit desperate for money. And so some councils do charge quite a lot. In Birmingham, I think the current license is about uh, £1,250. But remember, that is for five years. Uh, by the way, a tip for you. Um, if you go on one of the landlord accreditation courses run by what was the, the National Landlord Association, now the NLA has just merged with the RLA, which is the Residential Landlord Association, to form the NRLA, so National Residence Landlord Association. Um, and so they, it doesn't really matter which of those you join or you can join the new organisation. If you go on one of their accreditation days, which costs about £100 and is a really great day to teach you all about the legislation, the regulations, the things you need to know. In fact, 
If you go on one of those, it might kind of scare you and put you off being a landlord because there's a lot that we are responsible for as landlords. So it's very good to know about what we are liable for and make sure that we protect our tenants and obviously also protect ourselves. But anyway, if you go on one of these days, um, most councils will actually give you a discount off each license you apply for. Now, I say each license because it's not like a driving license where you, the landlord, are qualified. Each property needs to be licensed. So if you have four HMOs that all have five or more people there, each one of those would need its own separate license. Now, there is an application process. You can go online very often and download the forms and an information pack saying what's required. Probably the most important thing in an HMO is the safety requirements. So there are things like you need to have fire doors on all of the bedrooms and at the bottom of the stairs and between the lounge and the kitchen. You need to have... Um, interlinked smoke alarms. So if a fire started in one room, the alarm would go off in all the rooms so everyone's notified and woken up. You need to have a 30 minute escape route, which is a fire boarded route to make sure if there's a fire, people can get out for at least 30 minutes. Um, you need to have emergency lighting in case the power goes out so people can see the way to get out of the property. These are all really important safety requirements. You need to make sure they're in place. They do change from time to time. So it's always a good idea to get the latest information pack from the council, from their website to make sure you're doing things correctly. So to apply for the license, you fill in some forms, you send your application in along with your check, you'll send them a floor plan of the property, which shows them where are the fire doors, the smoke alarms, etc. And they'll assess that, and then they'll actually send someone out to come and uh, assess the property as well to make sure it's as you said it is. They'll normally give you uh, a recommendation uh, of what you need to do, and once you've done those things, they then automatically grant the license. So as long as the property adheres to the requirements, you should automatically be able to get a license. The other change that was brought in in October 2018 is minimum room sizes. Now, again, the national guideline, if you have a single room, it's 6.51 square meters, and a double room is 10.22 square meters. However, some councils have interpreted it in their own way. I know some councils, they say for a single room, it needs to be 10, 10 square meters. So again, check with your local council, find out exactly what their interpretation is. And a mistake I've seen people make, maybe they're investing in, say, London, and there are different boroughs, and they've got an HMO in one area, and they've got an HMO literally a couple of streets away, but it happens to fall into another borough and that other borough might have a slightly different process different requirements so make sure you check with every council or borough in the area in which you're going to be owning HMOs to make sure you are doing things correctly by the way when you put your application form in you want to get a confirmation that that's gone in that they've received your application and for most councils that means you can actually start renting the property out once you have that confirmation that you have applied for the license you need to make sure obviously the property adheres to the safety requirements, but you should be able to start using it. However, there are one or two councils who say, until you actually get the license, you can't use it as an HMO. So, you know, that might take months and months, but it's worth checking with your council to find out which way um, they do it to make sure you're doing it in the correct way. Now, if you are taking on a property such as a rent to rent or purchase lease option, you can leave the HMO license in the name of the owner because you're managing it, it can be in the owner's name or the manager. 
But then once it comes to renew it, if it's a purchase lease option, at the renewal point, it's probably a good idea to put it into your name such that when you buy it, it's already gonna be in your name. If you're doing a rent to rent, it's fine to leave it in the owner's name because eventually it's going back to the owner and they're gonna control the property. So that's kind of what I really want to share with you about licensing. Uh, once you understand it, it's actually a very straightforward process. Now I wanna talk a little bit about planning. And as I said, planning is totally separate from licensing. People often get them confused and mixed up. So let's talk about larger HMOs first of all. By larger HMO, I mean a property that's got seven or more people you absolutely need to apply for planning permission because you're changing it from what's a normal property into what's called a sui generis. That means in a class of its own. So it's a, it's a planning definition. That means it's not really a normal property anymore. Seven people living in a shared house or more is more like a commercial property in a way. So if you have a larger HMO, you definitely need to get planning for it. If you need, if you have up to six tenants, generally you do not need planning. Now, this has changed slightly due to Article 4, but I'll come to that in just a moment. So for a minute, let's forget Article 4. Let's just think about if we had a normal family house, let's say a three-bedroom property, which is a C3 planning classification. In most places, you can convert that into an HMO, so up to six people which is a C4 classification for an HMO, you can do that under what's called permitted development. What that means is you would not need planning permission to turn a normal three bed house into up to a six bed HMO. If you went over six beds, went to seven or more, then you would need planning permission. You'd need to go apply for sui generis, but up to six, you don't need planning permission. However, that was before Article 4 was introduced to some areas. Now, is only some areas. Let me explain what Article 4 is about. So this is where the local council have said, look, we don't really want more HMOs in this area. There are more than enough HMOs already. And very often we have lots of HMOs. The area kind of tends to come down a bit. Um, it's called sometimes studentification of an area where students kind of put old furniture outside the house and no one's there to pick it up. And it, the area's come down a little bit. So councils don't like lots of HMOs in, in concentrated areas. So they introduced Article 4, which is actually a withdrawal of permitted development rights. So remember earlier I said you could turn a normal house into a six-bed HMO under permitted development without getting planning permission. If it's an Article 4 area, you do need to get planning permission to turn a normal house, a C3 planning, into an HMO, which is C4. So in an Article 4 area, you must get planning permission. Now, when Article 4 first came in, some cities implemented it on a city-wide basis. So the whole city was Article 4. Uh, Nottingham is an example of somewhere that did that. And some cities, such as Birmingham, did selective um, Article 4. So they, they've created a map and you can go on to the council website, look at the planning department, and if they do have Article 4, there might be a map that shows you the Article 4 error. Now that's very important. I'm going to come back to that later on because there's a real opportunity there. So an action for you as a result of listening to this podcast is to go and check with your local council. This time speak to the planning department, which is totally separate from the licensing department, and ask them if... Article 4 has come into the area. If it has come in, ask them when did it come in. 
If it's not coming, ask them, are there plans for it to come in? And if so, when is that going to happen? Now, very often what happens is accounts council decide there are too many HMOs. They decide to implement Article 4. They give people notice about it. And slightly contrary to what they're trying to achieve, suddenly lots of investors rush into that area to try and buy properties and use them as HMOs before it becomes an Article 4 area. So um, sometimes it's a little uh, self-defeating, that policy. But still, You've got to find out when they brought it in. Now, does this mean that you can't create an HMO from a normal house in an Article 4 area? Well, no, it doesn't mean that at all. Many of my students have been very successful setting up HMOs even in Article 4 areas. So let me explain exactly how they've done that. So first of all, you go and find a suitable property in a great location, one that you can convert and change into, add value and change into a larger HMO. You've got to make sure it meets all the planning criteria. So, for example, they'll say you're not allowed to have another HMO within a certain distance. And so you can just go and check that does it meet those requirements or not. If it meets all the planning conditions, then you can apply for planning permission. Now, what I suggest you do is you secure the property on a purchase option. This is where you agree to buy the property. You set a price you're going to buy it for. You have a period of time in which to exercise that right to buy. And in that time, the owner cannot sell it to anyone else. So what that means is you're then free to put in the planning application, uh, expect it to be rejected because most councils, they, if they've implied, uh, if they've implemented Article 4, it's because they don't want extra HMOs. So expect it's going to be rejected. You then appeal. And as long as it meets all the criteria, you might well get granted planning permission. Once you have the planning permission, you can exercise the option and actually purchase the property. That saves you from making expensive mistakes. I've heard about people who've gone into an area, they thought they found a great house to make to an HMO, they buy it, they apply for planning, and they get turned down and they're stuck with this property. Or even worse, they don't know they need to apply for planning, they turn it into an HMO, the council comes around, makes them turn the whole thing back into a normal house. So these can be very expensive mistakes just because people have not bothered to educate themselves. Sometimes people say education is expensive, well actually I think ignorance is far more expensive. So I want to help you avoid these expensive mistakes. Now, there are a couple of opportunities in and around Article 4 areas. So what you can do is you can look at the boundary that covers the Article 4 area. And very often you might find maybe a road that half of it is in the Article 4 area, half of it is outside the Article 4 area. And the half that's outside might be just as good to do HMOs. And that might be a great place to buy property and then obviously set up an HMO. Or the other thing you can do is you can find landlords who already have HMOs in Article 4 areas. Now, as we know, at some point, landlords look to retire. You could potentially purchase those properties from those landlords and if they are in an Article 4 area you can get what's called a certificate of lawfulness. That means if it's already been used as an HMO before Article 4 came in and you can prove it's been continuously used as an HMO since Article 4 came in, you apply to the council and they will give you a certificate of lawfulness, which means you do not need to get planning on that property because it was an HMO before Article 4 came in. So you'd need to supply evidence to the council to that effect. Uh, in other words, copies of the contracts, the rental agreements, which obviously the landlord should still have and should be able to give you. 
those. Um, so I do hope this has demystified uh, planning and also licensing for you. It would be a real shame to be put off this incredibly powerful strategy just because you didn't quite understand that. So I hope this has really helped you and is going to help you move forward with your property investing. I've prepared some free of charge online training all about HMOs, which you can access at www.hmocourse.co.uk. It's completely free. You can get it at www.hmocourse.co.uk. And it's going to be a link in the show notes for you as well. Now, if you've liked this podcast, you've got some great value from it, I would really appreciate it if you can give me a five-star review and also just comment on what you found it was useful for, what you've got out of it, so that other people can read those comments, those reviews, and hopefully they'll also subscribe to the channel. And I hope you're subscribed to this podcast to make sure you get the latest episode that comes out every Tuesday morning. So until next time, remember to always invest with knowledge, invest with skill. Thanks for listening to the Property Magic Podcast. To get this week's show notes, please visit www.propertymagicbook.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can contact me via LinkedIn. You can follow me on social media. And I highly recommend you subscribe to my YouTube channel to watch loads of valuable property trading for free. All of the details are available in the show notes. Until next time, invest with knowledge, invest with skill.